Warning, the following podcast contains graphic violence, coarse language, adult themes, and nudity, and other content that some listeners may find triggering. Torture you, my friend. Trigger me timbers. Trigger me timbers, yeah. Trigger me timbers. Trigger me timbers. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Trigger Me Timbers, the latest that brings you the latest. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, what is it? The show that brings you the latest in shocking, startling and otherwise triggering news. Nailed it. I'm here with my loyal co-host. <laughs> Hugh Burt. <laughs> Actually, usually I'm the fucking loyal co-host, Phil, and I'm here with the main host, Hubert. Welcome, Hubert. Hey, we're we're equal hosts. We're equal co-hosts in this in this podcast. Isn't it just the host and the co-host? I think we're we're both co-hosts. I would oh, say. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'll be alpha host. <clears throat> so today, uh, I got some triggering articles for you. This one kind of just brings us back to the crux of what is triggering me timbers. Um, it's a little issue that uh, came up in China and let me just set a bit of backstory for my week and why this appealed to me when I was flicking through newspaper articles so during the week uh, this week I listened to a podcast called um, Mamma Mia Out Loud okay yep yes that's right as in quite diverse is that Mia Friedman Mia Friedman yeah 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 I just happened to be listening with my girlfriend I'm not uh I'm not a... What's it called? A, uh, you mean to say you're not virtue signal? I'm not. Yeah, I'm not trying to virtue signal <laughs> with my diverse listening of podcasts from men to mums. I'm just saying I was listening to it and it was a very interesting interview they had with uh, a British... Uh, I think she's a rapper and a journalist. She just wrote a book. Her name's Dottie Charles. And she wrote a short book called Outraged. Why Everyone, Why Everyone uh, Shouts and No One Is Talking... Uh, properly or something I missed the last word anyway <laughs> that's her book and it's about like all this crazy outrage that's going on and like people just hounding each other on social media all the time and it's kind of true and I think it's even happening in real life like it's hard to talk to people they just get triggered so hard and I just want to bring it back to back to level like we don't have to always be triggered you know so we have a treat to rating sometimes you can be just triggered like four or five you can have different aspects of how you're treated um, and so in this book this lady was talking about um, a particular incident in the UK and it kind of spread over the world so H&M over there they released a hoodie for children and it said on the hoodie my little monkey or something like that but then when they hired the act the models to model her they accidentally picked a black kid and they didn't uh, really think it through um, that they should have picked like the white kid or just not even made the shirt they didn't even think not to make the jumper like that it could be a risk or whatever it's a little bit silly that, you know, you can go into heaps of issues with it. Like, it's a bit silly that they didn't even see that coming. Um, but anyway, they just, like, everyone was so outraged and, like, The Weeknd even banned H&M sponsor, from sponsoring them, the, the band, The Weeknd. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so um, Dottie just thought it was too far. She was like, she's not, like, a, a right-wing, like, you fucking snowflakes sort of lady. <laughs> you know, she's um, black and she's gay and she's, uh, you know, all the... She's, she, she reckons she's been through everything and she's like look I'm really not outraged by this <laughs> we've got to pick our battles and that's not really that bad mm, mm. Uh, yeah right and <clears throat> on top of that I found myself a few times being more outraged outraged by something and then later on finding out oh actually I think we've just it's just a headline like we've misrepresented what's really going on and this my friend brings me to this uh, article from China okay you ready for so it? that wasn't the article this is this just is not the, the article this the is intro. what's happening in my week okay, and what has yep what has come in my week and what brings me to this we really need to discuss and read beyond the headlines and really be informed before we can be triggered mm-hmm. just like our podcast teaches us so this article is called restaurant in china tells customers to weigh themselves before ordering <laughs> <laughs> i was going to bring the scales in and make you weigh yourself before i give you this article but uh <laughs> I'm, I'm triggered already I don't need to hear anymore I've heard the article I'm outraged uh, yeah, 10 out of 10 next so uh, you get into a little bit more and the restaurant uh, explains themselves <clears throat> so the restaurant places two scales by its entrance and encouraged diners to enter their weight into an app that suggested menu items okay 
So imagine looking forward to treating yourself to a good meal at the end of a long day only to be reminded of your weight before even entering the restaurant. That's what you have to do to enter this beef joint in China. Um, so what happens is you weigh yourself and it um, suggests item menus based on the nutritional value and calorie of each dish after weighing you. Mm -hmm. So women under 40 kilograms were, went, were recommended not to order more than two dishes while men who weighed 70 to 80 kilos could order up to three. So as a recommending system, obviously you're still free to order whatever the frick you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so obviously everyone's heaps triggered by this, like this is screwed, why would you fat shame people that want to eat more or like why would you recommend, you know, people don't want to know about their weight, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> but you look around and you see signs in the restaurant that say things like, be thrifty and diligent, promote empty plates. And like near the scales, it said a sign that said, operation empty plates. So... What's going on really in China uh, is that, oh, by the way, this has been viewed over 300 million times in China. So this is like huge. This article. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. The, well, this like story. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Newspapers. yeah. And so what's really going on is um, it's big in Beijing and even the uh, Xi Jinping, the president has been pushing for a war on waste. Um, mm. Distressing. He's distressed by the amount of food and waste and must maintain, must maintain a sense of crisis about food security. So everyone keeps ordering too much food and like just throwing it out, I guess. And uh, and a lot of restaurants are already recommending that people order one fewer dish than the number of people at the table. So if there's eight people, order seven dishes. Um, so that's what the, uh, this is coming from, this weighing thing. They're like, we're going to recommend how much you can eat so you have an empty plate. It's coming from a food-based like environmental perspective. Ah, so yeah, it's not, not fat shaming at all. It's not fat shaming at all. But 300 million people have read this article and just like slammed this poor restaurant. <laughs> Smashed the angry react. <laughs> just trying to do good for that environment. Yeah, right. Uh, so yes, what do you think about all, all these things that I have raised? Oh, well, um, I think you're right. This is, this is really taking it back to our... Uh, our roots, our trig, trig to scale and trigger me timbers roots. Um, feels good to have just the two OGs back on the podcast, um, going back to where we started. But um, yeah, I think the uh, when I first heard you say that uh, the restaurant was requiring people to weigh themselves before they ate, my first thought was that it was going to be some kind of eating competition where you would then weigh yourself after your meal, and the competition would be to eat the most uh, amount of calories or you know weight of food possible. Um, and I thought challenge accepted, but just addressing the the actual scheme by the restaurant, I think it's um, it sounds like a very good idea because it's it's actually it's if anything it's making people at least pause for a second before they order their food and think um, think consciously about how much they actually need um, or want and uh, and thinking about reducing waste. So mm. I think like obviously the restaurant um, for that to be done successfully, and I'm sure I'm guessing they do this. Uh, it should be quite um, clearly highlighted that, that is the purpose of the scales and you know maybe not having it as a mandatory thing uh, would would be ideal um, but uh, but no it sounds, it sounds like a fun fun way to kind of like yeah encourage people to, to eat within you know reasonable amounts and, and within their, their appetite and their means um, yes but similar this is why I brought up the H&M thing it's mm. very similar in that were they too insensitive like well, not insensitive but just stupid to not see that the consequences of what they were doing well uh, that's a good that's a good point and I think um, unlike the H&M thing because I feel like the, that, that H&M story reflects badly on H&M no matter which way you look at it um, and like at the very very best case scenario, it was just kind of a very naive uh, decision. It still makes them look a bit dopey. Um, whereas in this case, perhaps the um, they might have been going for the any publicity is good publicity angle. And given that you said the article was viewed by 300 million people in China, and you know the largest podcast in Australasia, uh, Trigger Me Timbers, is discussing it on air right now, suggests that their strategy might may have paid off. So mm. why don't um, they just ban? females from entering that would get more publicity and more <laughs> male but they would get more customers yeah yeah no no I, I, yeah I, I see what you mean can't just fully trigger the public yeah to well, get publicity <laughs> yeah well I guess um, yeah the difference in that example is that it's actually you are discriminating against people whereas in this case it's just a if they were deliberately vague initially they're kind of hinting at the fact that they're trying to discriminate against people when they're actually not and, and when you, you dig a bit deeper it's not the case um, I think like this article is also it points to a bigger issue with the media in general around um, inaccurate headlines attached to 
uh, media Click reports. Bait. Clickbait, yeah. And so, like, it's something that like I I'm very aware of, um, especially now these days, being a co-host of this podcast. Whenever I do read the news, um, my eyes are obviously automatically drawn to those uh, shocking, startling, and otherwise triggering headlines. <laughs> and I've found that more often than not, when I actually dig into the story, it's not that triggering at all. Yeah, so, I find that too. Yeah. So, so it happens all the time. Where yeah, I read something, I go, oh, yep, yeah, I regret wasting my time reading that. The, the mm. click clickbait worked on me. Um, yes, and that was huge. That's yeah. And I've been trying to control myself. And I mean, I know clickbait's clickbait, but you really got to like dig a little deeper than one article sometimes to like actually get some mm. news like the redress the redress scheme at the end of june 30 so the um they're getting all the you know the child abusing organizations to sign up and you know pay the victims help pay the victims of uh crime um pedophilia crime and the articles that were coming out right near the end of june were like uh you know they haven't all signed up yet there's a few organizations that haven't signed up they're not going to pay out their victims and I was immediately just enraged. <laughs> but I looked into it and a lot of them had like kind of uh, emailed in their intention to sign up, but they hadn't yet signed up. And I was just like, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> what you can't just, it's a technicality. You know? mm, Why would you make mm. a headline over that? Yep, um, yep. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great point. And it actually links very well to an article I've got coming up later in the podcast. But um, And what your, your other point was around I guess outrage culture more broadly. Um, outrage culture, yeah. People just just looking, just absolute, you know, uh, jungle explorers just looking for fucking <laughs> something to be outraged out instead of looking for treasure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. ancient worlds. They're looking for like just looking so hard for something to be outraged out, and they just jump at it. Yeah, and um, and you know, yeah. I think we see it everywhere. Like people just hound each other. I can't even go on Reddit anymore because they're just they're. <laughs> fucking abuse people give each other is like embarrassing <laughs> yeah yeah oh no i think that's that's totally true um i also must acknowledge that it's it, it's a bit rich coming from from us given the nature of this podcast and the whole, you know the whole point of it is we're reacting to things but we get outraged on merit yeah okay okay yeah yeah so that's the difference we we have genuine mm. we we do our research and we try and pick things that are genuinely upsetting and triggering uh yeah but i guess everyone's gonna think that they um don't go too far and that they're balanced outrageous yeah <clears throat> even like the most extreme of cancel culture people they probably think that they're um you know they're they're on the right side of being outraged or whatever <laughs> yeah yeah no that's that's a good point um but in but in terms of stuff like this like mm. this chinese one you know they're outraged for the wrong reasons like if they, you dive into it a little bit more it's maybe not even outrageous i don't know mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's, um, yeah, I think, that, yeah, that, that, there's two different issues. Yeah, like there's, there's one like this, yeah, where it, the, the Chinese restaurant example is, um, it's actually, it's the headline and the story that's actually inaccurately depicting the reality, which, which so when you actually delve into the facts, you realize it's actually not that bad. But you could still be triggered in the end because you of still the guy's, yeah. the restaurant's um, naiveness and like H&M's naiveness, mm, you can still mm. be triggered at how if they just had some maybe diverse people, they wouldn't be in that situation yeah they would, they would have picked up the problem before it uh became public yeah yeah no exactly exactly and like and i that's why i would, I would put the h&m thing into a different category which is something that is like people are upset about it for a reason and i think it's it's genuine like it's a gen genuine reaction to kind of be offended by that and and at least kind of call it out uh mm. but then but then yeah and, and then like it's oh, it's very hard to comment on this without coming across as like a yeah, like a right wing. Everyone's just, a snowflake. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. The political correctness has gone mad because, yeah, like, yeah. I, I hate that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I hate that extreme side of things. I hate the term like social justice warrior being used as a um, pejorative term. Um, like, I just, you know, I, I cringe whenever I hear that. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, like that left wing snowflake soy boy cuck, yeah, yeah. you know, like as an insult for people who actually care about social issues. I hate that. But at the same time, there, I'm sure there are genuine examples where people have been too quick to act or they've acted in an excessive manner when, you know, cancelling somebody or, or by, mm. like, yeah, reacting. Like to the weekend cancelling H&M, I was like, mm. what? So what actually happened there? So the weekend... Two years ago, they were like, we're not going to let them sponsor us or whatever anymore. Okay, so they, they rejected sponsor? their... It's a band. Oh, they do some kind of, like, partnership thing, I don't know, whatever, yeah. <laughs> I thought the weekend was a guy. He was a singer. 
Is it? That's oh. what I thought so. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so... Uh, yeah, I guess there's a few little triggering aspects here. People being outraged without delving into the issue. But uh, also people, restaurants being um, not sensitive to weight. <laughs> what do you think? You triggered? I am, I'm triggered by a few aspects of that. And I think, um, like, I haven't even touched on the, like, food waste element. Because I think that's, mm. you know... Food waste is important to me. Environment is more important than people. Sorry. <laughs> it's just true. Because... <laughs> We got billions of people to come in our future that depend on the environment. We've only got a couple billion right now, you know, in yeah. a significant amount currently. Yeah, well, having having some sympathy and thought for future generations is a, a rare thing in this day and age when it comes to the environment. So yeah, you should be commended on that. But the um yeah the the that the whole topic of of food wastage could be a podcast in itself. Um and it's um. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have this problem because I'm, I'm a glutton and I've never left a scrap of food on my plate. But at the same time, I probably eat ten times more than the average person, so I contribute to the problem more than, than others. But, um, mm. but yeah, anyway, in terms of trig to scale, like I said, as as a, a host of a podcast that that relies on outrage culture to an extent, I think that getting called out in that way and having to reflect on my my own um, actions in that sense is triggering. Um, and I think. And yeah, like I said, the the, the problem with like stupid, um, inaccurate clickbait headlines is just so annoying, and and one of my biggest pet peeves as well in the media in general. So, yeah, I'm yeah very triggered by those those elements of it. Um, so yeah, I, I'd give it a solid solid eight, I reckon, eight out of mm. ten on the trigger scale. I'm gonna go yeah. All things considered, like what you said, I'm gonna add one more thing that, mm. that makes me give it an eight and a half. What gave me an extra half? was that this is just another loss for the planet. <laughs> just while people fucking headbutt each other over stupid shit again. <laughs> you know, this is a good uh, little um, program by the restaurant to reduce food waste and just encourage eating less food. And especially like culturally, like Chinese food, you know, you order a bunch of dishes, whereas maybe here you might order a dinner for yourself or whatever. So might not make sense here, but I, yeah, with Chinese food and you order like all mm. the dishes, you know, you can actually have a lot of food waste. <laughs> Um, so to me, it's just another loss of the planet for no good reason other than humans headbutting each other like a bunch of dickheads. So that's an eight and a half for me. Trig me tin, I'll torture you, my friend. Trig me timbers, trig me timbers, yeah. Trig me timbers, trig me timbers. Oh, what do you got for me this week, you bet? All right, so let's let's kick into the second article. Um, <laughs> I think you'll enjoy this one, Phil. So, <clears throat> let me just give you the, the, the title here. Zach Efron's dad bod transformation shocks fans. I think I may have glimpsed this and went next. <laughs> <laughs> I know I you hate celebrity about. gossip. Um, I do. But I think there are some, you know, some interesting points in this story to discuss. Um, <clears throat> so, anyway, I found this article... Um, Start, the article starts starts like this. Father's Day is long over, but there's a new daddy causing a stir. Zach Efron... So I'm just going to quote this article so you can get a, a sense of why I was very triggered by this. Uh, Zach Efron, who morphed from a hunky high schooler in High School Musical to a ripped lifeguard in 2018's Baywatch reboot, has reinvented himself yet again in his new Netflix series. Fans are now dubbing the 32-year-old actor a dad with a body to match. <laughs> and, yeah, anyway. So the, the article goes on to say, um, Efron appears shirtless in this Netflix show, revealing an upper body that is decidedly broader than his Baywatch days. Viewers, only two years ago. He was 30 or something, now he's 32. This is so dumb. Oh, just wait, just wait, my friend. Viewers have called out his physique as looking a bit huskier and labelled him daddy, slang for an attractive older man. So yeah, and at this point I'll point out that uh, one of the main reasons I'm triggered by this is the fact that Zac Efron is being described as having a dad bod when he just does not have a dad bod. <laughs> so for reference, I'm going to, when I upload this um, this pod, uh, I'm going to share this photo on our socials because I, I, you know, I think it's worth it's worth seeing the visual element here. 
but um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if if I've got an unrealistic standard of beauty, but I, I personally don't <laughs> don't see his body as a dad bod at all. I think he looks very very much uh, in the healthy no, category, okay, and I would yeah. say even athletic. Um, not not what I would describe as a dad bod. Um, anyway, the article goes on to say that uh, fans have taken to social media to show their amazement at his transformation. So somebody tweeted. Um, I'd like Zac Efron's parents' phone number so I can just leave a three-minute voicemail of me applauding. Uh, <laughs> and supposedly, in particular, viewers were swooning over his facial scruff, chest hair, and the lack of a defined six-pack. Um, so yeah, like I said, I'll include a photo uh, on our social media. But um, but basically, yeah, there are, there are a number of aspects of this article that I found to be quite triggering. Um, I'd, I'd be keen to hear your thoughts first, Phil, and then I'll, I'll dig into a bit more detail about okay. what, I, what I kind of, what my thoughts were. Uh, well, firstly, yeah, I thought maybe he's just trying to look a role, like trying to look normal or something for a role rather than some jack dude. <laughs> I have no idea what he looks like. Like he's actually gotten chubby or something. I have no idea. But um I'll show you a photo now, okay, so, we, so we can talk about it. Um, yeah, so just uh, just for reference, um, Phil, I'm going to show you a photo now of his. On the left frame, we have his 2018 jacked Baywatch body, and on the right, we have his new supposed dad bod. What do you, what do you think? The fuck, he looks the same. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's just not like ripped anymore, but he's still muscly and big, or whatever. Yeah. And he's got more hair in his butt. So he's just trying to look a bit older and a bit more normal. <laughs> yep, you said it. So what? People are telling him he looks like a dad bod now. What the frick? I guess uh, the time has come for us to finally have unhealthy body expectations, eh, Hubert? <laughs> <laughs> it's been happening for women for years now. Now it's up for men. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I think um, it's... It's what one of the, one of the things that triggered me was that very very fact that kind of the way that the um, this article I guess obsesses over the the details of his physique, um, you know, in in such a way I think it is very objectifying and like you said I think it's something that women have dealt with in society for you know much much longer than men have but I still I don't think it's a good it's a you know. I don't, I don't think two wrongs make a right in that sense. Mm. Um, yes. But I think, uh, like, unhealthy guys is, like, hitting the gym a lot. Uh, whereas un a lot of unhealthy girls is, like, just not eating and shit. Yeah. So there's mm. a bit of a difference there, I don't know. You mean, like, the e eating disorder angle? Mm. So I read this original article, and then I also read, like, a kind of critique of this article. And one of the, one of the points they raised in the critique gets to that idea and so uh, this, this author was arguing basically that um, the concept of a body transformation is kind of it's it's it, it's typically you know fraught with with danger as soon as you start either you know either critiquing or praising a body transformation um, you're basically you know you're strongly suggesting that one type of body is bad and one type of body is, yeah. is not bad yeah um, you know Arguably, if it's in the context of someone who's very a very unhealthy weight becoming healthy, then that's you know that can be a good thing. But that's definitely not the case here. Um, and I, I think uh, celebrating his new look um, could be triggering for people who have eating disorders and who are struggling with their with their own weight and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, uh, the <laughs> another thing I'll mention is the um, the IT crowd actor Chris O'Dowd made quite a funny tweet. Is that, um, sorry, is that the Irish guy or the... Um, yeah, the, the Irish guy, guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he said... Uh, <laughs> he said that... Um, uh, by, 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 by referring to Zac Efron as having a da dad bod, um, that's an example of cultural appropriation <laughs> of, his, uh, of his kind. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's but, classic. Religion. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and like you said, I think he, like... He still looks pretty ripped and he's still pretty fit. So it's pretty, um, yeah, it's, it's a like it's just a crazy body standard. Yeah, like for fucking for people to try and do that. I don't know. I feel like, especially with careers, no one should put that stuff, like bodies, careers, money, no one should put that stuff up to pedestals because if people pursue it too hard, like 
other areas of your life suffer. Like, uh, you know, if you're pursuing your bod too hard, you, you could fuck your finances, you could fuck your relationships. Because, mm. um, you, you know, you're paying less attention to them. You could be fucking your sleep. You, you could be messing with something else. Like, it's, you've got to balance your whole life. Like mm. People that get ripped like that, I don't get jealous because I'm like, I know you're probably not barely socializing. You're barely, you're missing out somewhere else. That's yeah. what we should be thinking. I know it's a bit pessimistic, but <laughs> someone that's really successful somewhere is usually failing somewhere else. That's what I think. You're better off balancing everything. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, like, especially when it when it's taken to this extent, because, like, mm. you know, in in his Baywatch uh, days, he he is legitimately like a bodybuilder. Like, he's mm. you know, like absolute zero body fat, just completely ripped, and 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 he acknowledged it himself. So I think he he was interviewed on Ellen, um, and he basically said. Uh, you know, I I don't think I don't want anybody to have an aspirational goal to look like how I look. Um, I think it's very unrealistic and it's not sustainable. So he's acknowledged it yeah, himself. Yeah, it's his full on life to just look like that, and he had professional trainers and nutritionists to get yeah. there for his acting role. It's got nothing to do with real life. Like it's unrealistic here. Yeah. Unless you're an early retiree, I guess, if you pursue fire and you retire at forty and you can look like that, can't you get all day to work out? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Or if it's you know if that's your passion, that's that's what you, what makes what exactly. makes you feel good. That's all good. You can have whatever you want, but not everything. Wait, was that the saying? No, you can have anything you want, but not everything you want. That's the <laughs> saying. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. All right. Eh? Hmm. So, what trigger ratings? Or is that what you're yeah. Saying? Yeah. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? So, you have you been? Um, does this does this uh, inspire you to uh, to get a ripper bod, or what do you <laughs> what do you feel after reading this? Yeah, I just feel inspired to just let loose and just just grow <laughs> a big fat dad bod. <laughs> uh, I know he doesn't look anything like that. Um, yeah, I guess I'm triggered because I guess maybe the start of unrealistic body types. I think a lot of blokes are just still smashing the gym, yourself included, Hubert. And uh, I, I don't know, my jealous. <laughs> I just feel like <laughs> like fuck off. I don't want to spend all my time in the gym. Coming, I'll just be dweeby like me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to waste my time doing that shit um, yeah and I think it's just stupid to like think that yeah expect people to look like that so whatever and I think uh, a lot of guys agree with me to not bother but also yeah the um, the overwhelmingness of it like if people are like wow it's too hard fuck I just won't do anything that's, mm. that scares me because everyone's got to be a little healthy you know uh, but not Zach Efron healthy that's just too far yeah so yes out of, of a trick to scale of body shaming and uh, body expectations i'll give that a solid uh six out of half no wait oh for body expectations yeah yeah not a personal trick to things obviously no one's dying here but for body shaming stuff it'd be an eight yeah okay okay cool for personal trick to rating it'd be a six all right because you're because you're very confident in your in your body and i'm lucky i got a lot of hair to hide my fat It adds, it adds to the dad look, apparently. Apparently, mm, so exactly. Um, yeah, no, no, that's that's cool. What do you think? Is it aspiring you to hit the gym harder? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, I think you said it perfectly. In that it's all, it's all about balance. You know, like you, sh- you want to be, yeah. Um, I think, uh, like I, I personally go to the gym because I want to be better at sport, because I want to be healthier. Um, you know, because I f- feel like it has good kind of physical and mental health benefits um and i think if yeah if i ever got to the point where i was where i felt like i was addicted and it was ruining other aspects of my life then i would want to stop or at least slow down you just want to flex under boys don't you (laughs) mate i would if i could i would if i could um but yeah no i I was very triggered by this article um okay i think the like I, I cringe whenever I see any yeah anything that's kind of objectifying and 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 swooning to this extent, um, whether it's a male or a female. Um, I, I don't think it's it's cool to um, kind of yeah to to reduce somebody to just their looks. I think I don't think look at the end of the day looks are that important. <laughs> um, and, and just like I said, the fact that um, the fact that he's uh, in this day and age is considered to have a dad bod is pretty shocking in itself um especially given that the average person is overweight in australia and in america so you know uh ripped and jacked chads like phil and myself you know we we can just shake this off but like i feel like the average joe looking at that kind of article is probably going to feel horrible about themselves you know especially like a young impressionable person 
who who maybe doesn't have the self confidence and mm. and you know isn't mature enough to realize that looks mm. aren't everything um, could have some really bad effects on, on on those kind of people. So yeah, I, I was very triggered. I, I, it's a, a nine out of ten for me. Mm, okay. Yes. Yes. Body shaming stuff does trigger you, huh? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Actually, that's actually really funny that you brought this thing up because just today at footy, one of my mates said to me, I don't know why this came up, but he was he said, "Mate, if you turn sideways." I wouldn't be able to see you anymore. <laughs> and I was like, what, are you calling me a fucking little twig? And he's like, yeah, you're a dweeb, mate. Well, there you go. And I was like, go. wowee. But the thing is that uh, <clears throat> I value uh, like being able to run uh, fast or hard or whatever. Long distance. Well, yeah, I want to be able to run. So my, my thing is like, I feel like shit if I can't run well. Um, so that's more important to me. Yeah. yeah. And looking good in an image. Yep. Health and functionality is more important. More important mm. than having a thick booty. Mm. Mm. Yes, all right. <laughs> well, next article. Trig me tin, I'll torture you, my friend. Trig me timbers. Trig me timbers, yeah. Trig me timbers. Trig me timbers. Someone else also tweeted, um, in what world does Zac Efron have a dad bod? Who's dad? Hercules? <laughs> <laughs> That is so good. <laughs> yeah, it's just fucking ridiculous that give men that expectation. They got to be even leaner than Zach Efron. What the fuck? It's cool. Be be happy. Be comfortable in your own skin, kings. That's what we're saying. Mm. Uh, okay, you ready for this? Hell yeah! I just got the author. I didn't. I didn't put the um, newspaper. So oh, one's from Vice and one's from the Guardian. Cool. So whichever one this one's from, I'll say both, and then we can edit it out. <laughs> This one's from The Guardian. <laughs> this one's from Vice. <laughs> Together apart, why sleeping in separate beds is not always the beginning of the end. Oh, here we go. Okay. Here it is. This is a study done by uh, Robert Adams, a professor of respiratory, respiratory and sleep medicine at Flinders University College. Uh, some studies, blah, blah, blah. They found that of 20, 2040 Australians um, interviewed... 17% of them, 17% of the couples, sorry, uh, were married or living together, but they slept alone. Wow, okay, that's sort of one in five. Mm. Okay. But another 22% uh, on average um, preferred to sleep alone, but didn't. <laughs> so 40% of people don't want to sleep with each other. That's crazy. That is huge. This just goes... This, I think this triggered me when I read it and I was convulsing in my chair because um, <laughs> I'm pretty big on like, fuck, don't waste your life away. Like, you'll be old before you know it. Like, just leave your partner if you don't want to be with them. But a lot of them just said that they were really happy. They just didn't want to sleep in the same bed because they get restless nights. Some people do shift work. Some people snore a lot. Um, and, you know, they just like roll around. They get up for bathroom breaks. Like, they just sleep. I guess maybe after 40 years of being with your partner, you might just get over it and want to sleep in separate rooms or whatever. But then again, you'd probably just get used to each other. I mean, I used to live next to a train track. You get used to it very quick. <laughs> and you sleep through it very easily. I don't wake up six times a night. Um, yes, uh, so that 22% of people, that the couples that wanted to sleep alone that weren't, of that, um, there was a big uh, age difference. So people over 55, 27% of them wanted to sleep alone, whereas people 18 to 34 only 16% of them wanted to sleep alone. Okay. So the older you get, obviously, the way more you want to sleep alone. But still, what couple between 18 and 34 wants to sleep separately? 16% of them, that's huge. Well, like you said, there could be... Just, they... just dump each other. <laughs> we'll go see, go see a sleep therapist, get the uh, sleep apnea mask or something. Well, I guess, like, um, what it depends on the reason why the people want to sleep apart from each other. Because like you said, there could be like yeah, like sleep apnea might be one. It might be the horrible snoring. It might, but it could be a range of things. It could be like the um, people like to roll around a lot in their sleep, and the other person's very sensitive to movement, etc. One person might be really get really hot when there's another person sleeping next to them. So it, it, like if if the reason that you don't want to sleep next to someone is because you hate them and you're <laughs> offended by their presence, then that you should break up with them. But if it's just you know, I don't see any reason why you couldn't. Um, be in love with somebody and want to spend all your time with them, you know, in your life in general. But then when it comes to sleeping, 
when you're unconscious, you don't care where you where you are. That's I can I can I can sympathise with that view. Mm, okay, righto. Well, I think maybe I'm in the twenty two percent. The this article is obviously like a positive one. It's saying it's not the beginning of the end. It's all good, and a lot of the uh, couples they've interviewed say that their relationships are stronger than ever. Um, these these couples, Sophie and Sam, they uh, started sleeping in separate beds because of his snoring, and they say now it's bloody awesome. Um, and their relationship is better than ever. So, but that's just anecdotal, all right? Show me the data. I want to see how many pe- <laughs> how many people this ends up better for. How many people should just break up? They just don't want to. Den- they don't want the shame of a failed relationship, or they don't. Want- they're scared to be alone, or whatever. Uh, is it even natural for us to bloody sleep together? Why do we even sleep together? I did read as I was looking for this. I read a thing uh, on whatever. ABC I don't care somewhere somewhere <laughs> somewhere on the internet <laughs> somewhere on the internet um, it was uh, some archaeologists they always dig around in this cave near South Africa and they always find like dig up archaeological stuff there because um, it's like had been inhabited for 200,000 years uh, and they found 200,000 years ago that humans did have beds they had a layer of grass on ash and so having the ash there the insects can't really get through mm-hmm. so bedding actually started like 200,000 years ago wow. at least for humans they started yeah having the ash to stop the insects and um, and yeah the uh, insulation was the grassing on the top mm. and stuff like that and they'd sleep on that I guess by comfort as well maybe I don't know but they started that and now we still sleep on beds yeah, that's always been a thing for humans yeah and my question is did they find any uh, fossils fossil remains that were in a spooning position <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows spooning it doesn't work <laughs> Gives you a dead arm. <laughs> I prefer a little spoon. <laughs> uh, yeah, so bedding, beds, sleeping together, been around forever. What do you think? Does that trigger you? Well, I, I have to say those those trends don't trigger me a lot. I think surprise like, you. Twenty forty percent of people don't want to sleep together. That that does surprise me a bit. Um, I think. There are a few elements that trigger me. So, like one one is actually the fact that so so like the um, the seventeen percent of people who who sleep apart from each other uh, and are happy with that situation that doesn't trigger me at all. I think if that's if that's what you if that's what you want to do, you know, you feel like that doesn't take away anything from your relationship. That's fantastic. If you're both more comfortable, you know, that, that that's great. Why why should there and I say this to you, Phil, as a man who hates traditions and hates societal expectations. Yes, and I do. I do. Yeah. Why? Why is there an expectation that you must sleep in the same bed to be happy to be with your partner? I know, but I just think I just find it natural. Like, if you don't like it, you probably don't like your partner. Or you got to. <laughs> why the fuck do you? When do you even see them? Don't you go to work? Maybe you work together. I guess if you work together, sleep in separate beds. You'd be sick of each other at the end of the day. I will. Okay. I. I also think. I. I. I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I think there's there might be a middle ground here, right? Like. You, there might be some some people who like don't like sleeping in the same bed, don't like spending the um, you know time with their partner in the same bed overnight. Um, but does doesn't mean you still then couldn't you know hang out in bed while you watch a movie, have a bit of a cuddle, yada yada yada, and then when it comes when it comes time to go to sleep, then you go into your own beds. Because um, to me, I think I think of it, I, and I feel like I the more I talk about this, the more I realize I am in this probably one fifth of people that don't really have a strong preference either way um i think i think a a good analogy in this case is when i go to to the cinema to watch a movie um you know it's quite nice to go there with somebody and to sit there and uh have a chat beforehand but once the movie starts i couldn't care less if i was by myself or not because i'm just enjoying the movie that's true you do sleep unconscious and with your eyes closed you don't need to be next to your partner that's true that's true that's I'm right. less triggered now. Yeah. so why can't you just enjoy all that time up to the moment of going to sleep and then when you want to go to sleep you just go okay good night I'm in, I'm in the next room or I'm in the next bed you know 30 centimeters away from you having a comfortable night's sleep yeah I just okay yeah freedom, personal freedoms and all that I just, fair enough but <laughs> I just find it I think it's natural to want to sleep together. Like, I think to me, it's all or nothing, right? Why is there variance? It doesn't make sense. They shouldn't. If, if people don't like it, maybe everyone doesn't like it. Maybe I don't like it. I don't even know. I've tried. It's a preference. I think it's a preference. Like you know, I, mate, yeah. Like uh, yeah. I, I don't like I said. I don't think it has anything to do with the quality of the relationship. If you, and like, it, it could be one red flag in some instances. And I think like I'd be very curious to know like of the. So you said there was twenty two percent of people 
who want to sleep alone but don't. So I'm assuming in that case... So that means 40... No, 39% of all couples in Australia... Want to sleep apart. Yeah, want to sleep apart. Yeah. Half of them do. Half, half of them don't. actually follow through with it. Yeah. So that actually triggers me more because mm. those people mm. should be sleeping apart mm. and I they're agree. not because of some stupid societal expectation. Societal expectations, yes, yeah. right, I agree. Or their partner wants them to and they're just doing it for the team. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's another issue. That's a different issue again, I guess. Yeah, when it's... And that's probably... The, they're probably the worst situations where, yeah, one partner is really keen on that, you know, physical intimacy while going to sleep and the other one isn't. Uh, then you have to make a bit of a compromise. Um mm. And that's, you know, maybe you could do a couple nights a week one way, a couple nights a week another way. Mm. But if you're not sleeping in the same bed, like, when do, you, when do you start hanging out? So you're in separate rooms. You could be in the same you, room, but do in Do you wake beds. up, do you jump in? Okay, that's true. Do you, when you wake up, do you jump in to bed together and yep. hang out again? Or do you, you know, go to the bathroom separately and just meet in the kitchen like an hour later and then what you're only spending like three hours a day with each other an hour half an hour for brekkie and maybe two hours for dinner <laughs> you don't see each other otherwise yeah yeah and on the weekends oh. i guess yeah it's about sh- but to me it's like sharing your life with your partner if you don't want to then don't fucking have one on there there's nothing wrong with that yeah no i think i like i i agree with that but i also i think it's um there's no right or wrong way about it. And there should, there's no rule. There should just be, people should just do what makes them feel good. And mm. I think like, you know, if you're... Yeah, that's true. The 22% that don't want to sleep together and still are that, that's concerning. Yeah. Unnecessary suffering. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. But like, you know, I, I think like if you're um, like, yeah, if you're, if you're someone who um, is in a relationship and you're both really independent people and you value your own time and space, etc. If you're on the same page with that, about that, the, who are you to set the rule about what, what should, people should do? I just think that passively living together and just sharing your life together is easier than like scheduled coordination. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. And yeah. uh, I mean, I guess you can sync your Google calendars and <laughs> schedule in a brekkie every 8 a.m. or whatever, but just fuck it. Just seems weird, all right. I can't deal with the like scheduling and the, the not the active hanging out, not, mm. not passive mm. um, living. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's, you know, unless you bit like a retiree, like who the fuck has time to organize and whatever. Anyway, that's all. Just seems weird. Just makes your life difficult if you like. To me, these people are waking up and like trying to spend time with each other rather rather than actually just doing it because they live together and they share their life together. That's all. Okay. Yep. So trigger me. Uh, that's a fucking eight and a half for me. Couples suffering. What about you? I I'm not triggered. Oh, I'm not triggered. Jesus. You know, I think like so. Yeah. Sorry. I am. I agree. Like uh, the only part that triggers me is that people, the people that mm. aren't doing what they want to do One because of the societal norm. So yes. that that triggers me. But, but like unlike you, I think that the idea of sleeping in separate beds doesn't trigger me because I think that's a, like the time that you spend together while you're unconscious asleep isn't is that's only one small yeah, part but of it's life. like an hour leading up to sleep and then an hour in the yeah. morning or whatever. Yeah, but there's no reason why you can't out. spend yeah. that hour together and then mm. just leave when you want to go to sleep. Yes, that's true. Uh, yep. There's ways around this. There's ways around it. So I'm I'm. Overall, not not super triggered. It's it's very interesting stats, but yeah, mm. not not personally triggered at all. So I'd give it a, I'd give it a, a four on the trigger scale. Four out of four. <laughs> trigger me ten, I'll torture you, my friend. Trigger me timbers, trigger me timbers, yeah. Trigger me timbers, trigger me timbers. Wow, wait, okay, well, fuck me, I'll lose today. Like you hit me with your, what you got today? Well, as you know, as we um, as we've discovered on this podcast, the the articles that have the highest scores aren't always the most interesting or entertaining. So I don't, mm. I don't think I just don't give think... me some crazy like Nazi bashing his <laughs> fucking neighbors or something. <laughs> just yeah, ten out of ten. Well done, <laughs> good find. <laughs> oh. All right, so for the fourth and final article of the day, um, this is actually an article that was submitted to me by a listener of the podcast. So that's cheating. You can't have minions working for you. <laughs> well, we strongly encourage uh, listener feedback and, and participation. So 
Big shout out to uh, to Josh from Melbourne who uh, slid into my DMs this week with some inspirational triggering content. And um, you know, I'm not just pandering to the fans. It would, it got me it got me triggered. So I, I'm 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 ready to bring it bring it to you. Um, so all right. So this is an article from the Guardian, and the title is. Australian Red Cross defends spending 10% of bushfire donations on office costs. Oh my god, I still buying pens and paper and shit. <laughs> fucking idiots. So this this article it has a triggering angle. Um, it may not be the one you expect, but keen to hear your thoughts anyway. So, um, so like I said, the Australian Red Cross has defended its decision to spend up to 10% of bushfire donations on administrative administration costs as being essential uh, but its past fundraising history shows it has previously promised to put 100% of all money raised directly to a cause. Uh, the charity is facing recent criticism from the New South Wales Liberal MP Andrew Constance um, and he supposedly almost lost his uh, his home in the, the recent bushfires. I guess not mm-hmm. so recent now but the pre-corona bushfires. Um, and he's criticised them for taking too long to distribute the $115 million in donations they have received since July. Wait, so they're like $12 million in administrative fees? How? You'll see. You'll see. You'll okay, see, my friend. Dumping the gun. <laughs> so, the, yeah, so anyway, and this, this politician, his comments have put the spotlight on, um, on the Red Cross and their fundraising practices in general. So... Um, this week, the charity conceded that up to 10% of all their donations would be set aside for office costs. And this puts the charity at odds with the St. Vincent de Paul Society, uh, which said that it would not take administrative fees for its emergency appeal. Um, it also put the charity at odds with its own promise last year to put 100% of donations from its Help Aussie Farmers Fund uh, towards helping severely drought-affected farmers. Um, now, yeah, so after talking to uh, our loyal listener, Josh, um, who has quite significant experience working in a range of not-for-profit organisations, uh, this article became quite triggering to me. Um, I work for a not-for-profit organisation, the government. <laughs> <laughs> Continue, please. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think the... I've got some more to go on, but I think... Keen to hear your early thoughts on that, and then and then I'll, I'll I'll explain to you why I think there's more than meets the eye to this story. Yeah, so this has actually been a bit of an annoyance of mine for a while. Like I always heard growing up in growing up in high school and stuff, like donate to World Vision or Oxfam, or whatever, and you're like, yeah, hell yeah. And then later on, you hear that they spend like half their money on advertising and stuff, and you're just like, fuck, you just can't win. Like, what is a good administrative cost? I don't think anything more than five percent should be a good administrative cost. And when you do a massive like funding campaign like that, that should just go down to like half a percent for that campaign, like ongoing donations, maybe around four or five percent, but whatever. I don't know. It just depends mm-hmm. on the scale. But the thing is that they need to just find out with technological solutions to, to pay out these things. Like, what are they doing? Like, hiring all this staff to just, you know, means test who deserves it the most or whatever. Like, they can just get a list from the New South Wales government or whatever, like whose houses have burnt down, who doesn't have insurance, pay them, done. I mean, all the renters like the leases people who are living in the houses and owners of the houses like just pay them how hard is it to just get a list an emailed list from the New South Wales government to pay them like to a trusted charity obviously you don't give out the public names to people because mm. uh, that's actually really serious like they could be really vulnerable and people could exploit them so you don't give out these names to the public but you give out these names to charities couldn't they just get a partnership with the New South Wales government to do that that'd cost them what like to administer that'd cost them bloody 20 grand it's just emails and you just email all these people for their bank details and you dump the money in. <laughs> Saved them 12 grand just then, $12 million. <laughs> Maybe you should apply for a job there, Phil. You, you could become the There's CEO. There's automated ways. And that wasn't even that technological. That was just like, just coordinate with New South Wales Gov, email people for their bank details, send the money like done. Yeah, I guess like that. that's like, that's probably the simplest form of um, charity they could do is just you know directly sending money to the affected mm. people um, it doesn't have to be perfect like yeah I don't know anyway whatever it could be it hard me. To... and I was just going to say as well other stuff I've heard from charities is like they just don't know what they're doing like they don't 
there's these humanitarian, oh, I don't know if this is right-wing people that are anti-snowflakers, but saying, telling me this, but <laughs> they, they don't know what they're doing. Like they don't have finance backgrounds. They hire, um, so these charities hire like really expensive accountants and really expensive like consulting firms and pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And they just turn up to the charity to like tick off and audit the books or whatever. Like they'll turn up for two days a month or whatever and they're getting paid like half a million dollars. There's just all this really dodgy shit because they have to like get auditing and all this stuff. But they're a charity. Mm. Uh, and they shouldn't be wasting half a million dollars on like Deloitte to come and tick off their funds and pay some dude who like drives away in a private, flies away in a private jet <laughs> to account for them or whatever. Uh, you know, they just waste money on shit. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's big charities or whatever. Mm. Seems sketchy. And then obviously other ones that aren't really like questionably charitable, like big clubs and pokey clubs, they just renovate every year or two years and give all the renovation contracts to their mate contractors, their mate builders. <laughs> so that's not even like a charity either. Mm. Just charities just trigger mm. me. I'd love to give to them more, uh, but I don't. Mm. Well, okay. I think you're going to be very interested to hear Josh's thoughts on this. So I, I can't pretty. claim credit for having this. Um, this perspective because I, I admit I, I was very my initial reaction was the same as yours I thought like it seems excessive you know and, and I think like there has really been I've noticed a shift in kind of general public discourse in the media about charities in recent times in particular I've seen a lot of stories about like dodgy operators about excessive admin costs yada 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 um, I think uh, so. Josh, Josh had some interesting counterpoints to this, and I, I, I thought they were very good. So, um, so the first thing he said was like, you know, of course, any any organization is going to have some kind of office and administrative costs to run. So you can't expect a charity um, to be different to any other business. It needs there's some there is a reasonable amount of costs that you can expect mm-hmm, to come mm-hmm, out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that there, he thinks there's an, a an unreasonable expectation held by a lot of people in the society that charities should run for free, um, which and of purely course, on the back of volunteers. Yeah. yeah, which which you know. Again, oh, definitely pay the employees. Yeah, don't yeah. take volunteers unless it's for like community face to face stuff. You have volunteers for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so then yeah, so then I guess the question becomes like, what is a reasonable amount for the overheads, mm. general admin costs, etc., and how do how does a charities uh, overheads compared to a regular private business? You know, I can't answer that question, but it's worth considering. Um, Josh went on to tell me about this, this particular model in, in cha- the charity space at the moment um, that's becoming more popular called the 100% donation model. And so this is where charities basically advertise the fact that all public donations go directly to the chari- charitable programs and none to admin costs. And so, and that sounds like the article was kind of alluding to that with the St. Vincent de Paul Society. That was what they were doing with the bushfire relief. Um, and so Josh said that what actually happens in practice in these situations is that charities basically approach large corporate entities and ask them to cover, basically ask them for donations to cover their, um, their operating costs. Yeah, that makes sense. That sounds good. And so, but then it becomes, it's basically then a technicality where they, they say yeah, um, every public, per, you know, every personal donation that Jono on the street puts in the tin goes directly to the charity. 100% of it goes there. Um, when in reality, there's actually, they're not operating in a different way to the other charity. They've just labeled it differently. They've mm. said, they've said, because um, the they still have the same cost, but they're just getting paid by the, you know, corporate sponsors rather than the public. Um and then that kind of has its own problems because the large corporate sponsors can then, they can often spin that in their own mm. way to actually make it sound like they're doing more than they are. Mm. And often- we, Yeah, we pay for 100% of Smith family's funding or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and often that means that they're actually giving less than they would have, than what society may have expected them to give otherwise. Um, so, uh, and the, the other problem with that model is that it actually it, it makes life inadvertently much more difficult for small charities who can't do that and for um for every other charity basically it has a, mm. a more traditional model because it makes it's basically creating this societal expectation that every dollar i give to you must go to the charitable cause when you know in reality it's actually just the way it's been spun uh in the media yeah it's very annoying 
Yeah, and like you said, I think the public service uh, cops of similar criticisms. People will often uh, talk about how wasteful the public service is and you know how expensive various things are. Um, when, yeah, I feel like if you, in, in many cases, if you compare their operations to um, private businesses, it may not be incomparable, um, in some cases more efficient. So, um, so yeah, I just thought that was fascinating. I thought the, um, like, and, and like I had the exact same initial reaction as you did, and it was only when Josh explained this to me that I thought about it from a different angle. Um, and that's why I mentioned that I thought it links well with your first article, which is about, you know, maybe delving deeply into a topic uh, rather than reacting to the headline you can connection no, no, worthwhile. But, but 10, $11.5 million is still, is that 10% of 115? Yes, $11.5 million oh. is still a huge amount of admin costs. That's a ridiculous amount. Yeah, and sorry, I will add one extra thing on that. So um, the the 10%, I believe, was their, that was their kind of traditional um, model was that they said they would use about 10% of their donations, but then they had a huge influx of donations huge, for the bushfires. Uh, fundraise, um, yeah, yeah, because they come yeah. in like flows. They'll do like a big fundraiser for a few months yeah. and then, yeah, it doesn't just trickle in every week. Yeah, yeah. So the, the CEO of um, the Red Cross actually, he addressed that explicitly and said, we're actually not doing 10%. That's, that was our, that's our traditional model. Mm. And now we've had this huge influx of money. We're going to adjust it accordingly, and it's not actually going to be ten percent. Um, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, so usually it probably costs them like a million dollars a year to run, and this year still a million dollars, maybe one and a half million. Yeah. But they got a massive influx of money. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so that's just some false advertising. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. From from yeah, the yeah. Guardian, the Guardian bashing some some charities. Mm, so um, sketchy. So it doesn't cost. Them. All right, that's fair. Fair enough. I'm triggered yeah. by the bloody. False advertising. Yeah, yeah. As was I. As was I. So yeah. Once again, thank you to Josh for that very interesting article and for informing me because I I would have been in that angry mob, uh, you know, chanting chanting my outrage uh, to cancel the Red Cross. It wasn't him enlightening <laughs> me. So. Well, I'll tell you what, they uh, there's a really good um, WA charity, uh, Free Her. There's a Free Her campaign this lady started, and they just directly give all the donations straight to. Um, women in prison because they haven't paid their fines like that is just a direct dumb policy mm. by the government that they they just jail people for being too poor to pay their fines mm. <laughs> and it like uh unequally affects women so i've donated to that and i'm not fucking virtue signaling but i'm saying like i donated that because i was like this is a fucking sick very obvious straightforward like just pass the money on to pay their fines so they can get out of jail mm. it's a very easy obvious campaign obvious easy charity like there's no question about the um, operational costs and shit that they do, you know. Mm. Easy. I guess like, it, like that's good. In that case, it sounds like that because it is very a very simple, like you know, structure. You don't. There's no means testing. The, they just yeah. pay their fines. Yeah. So may, maybe in the case of the Red Cross, they do have a more complicated structure where they, that you know, they might be more. Um, more risk of fraud, for example, like people trying to take advantage of the organisation. So they might have to do their due diligence to work out who le legitimate charitable cases are, you know, how much each person course, deserves, et cetera, et cetera. But how, uh, yeah, how working out how much people deserve, they could have some pretty easy blanket rules or whatever, like, you know, their rent times the three months or whatever. Three months of their rent. And if they're a landlord, then uh, like a quarter of the bill of their house or whatever was their previous house. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think you've just you put your case on the table. You you should apply to be the chief operating officer of the Red Cross. Ah, uh, anyway, whatever. Ten out of ten. <laughs> no, nah, what do you reckon? What yeah, do you reckon? Ten out of ten. I'm Actually, kidding. ten yeah, out of ten. Charity is big for me. I like to fucking donate. I'm donating way less these days because I hate it. It's fucked. Yeah. Charity's a touchy topic for me. Yeah. Oh, amazing. All right. Well, congratulations, dear Is that your first ten? Probably your second. That's what I think. That's my first ten from you. Hmm. That came out of nowhere. I was not expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I knew that was going to happen when I least expected it as well. But <laughs> man, all right. Well, that's that's a good that's a good result. That's a good result. Um, hmm. Wow. All right. Well, yeah. Huge huge shout out again to Josh G getting getting me that first ten. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, and any other listeners out there that have got some, uh, you know, feel free to sh slide into our DMs hit us up with some articles um, and we'll, yeah, might, might feature them on the pod. So, um, yeah, but again, for me, uh, I just, I, yeah, I felt like um, I was very triggered just because uh, I realized that um, I was very naive to the, to the world of charities and the various models. Um, and, 
yeah so i guess i'm i'm triggered in both ways the the idea of um the, the fact that there are some charities that are, that are being wasteful and um you know and not 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 giving all the money into the right places but then also the fact that there are charities that are doing the right thing and are getting named and shamed uh you know publicly in a very unfair manner um so, yeah pretty unfair on the red cross but their yeah. day-to-day operation shouldn't have been 10 percent anyway so whatever <laughs> they deserve it fucking <laughs> All right. Well, we're triggered for different reasons, but yeah, I'm 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 also pretty high, so I reckon an eight eight and a half uh, for me. Mm. Well, yeah. well, you win. Congratulations today, sir. <laughs> so that's all for today for triggering me, Timbers. Um, cheers for listening to episode nineteen. Feeling a little bloody sleepy. How about you, Hubert? I think I am too. It might be time for bed. Not Australia. Wait, are we going to sleep in the same bed? <laughs> <laughs> so let's sleep in separate rooms. I snore. I don't want to keep you awake. I go to the toilet 18 times a night. <laughs> Sounds good to me, honey. See you at breakfast at 9am, honey. <laughs> we can chat about our dreams then. Our nightmares. <laughs> I'll miss you. <laughs> See you then, Australia. I'll torture you, my friend. Trigger me timbers. Trigger me timbers, yeah. Trigger me timbers.